Uh, we are going to wrap up Psalm 23. It's, it's crazy to think this is, I think, week seven or week eight. Um, but hopefully it's been, it's at least been fun for me. <laughs> um, so that's kind of selfish to say, but I, I, I've enjoyed studying this psalm deeper. Prayerfully, God has been using it to teach us things as well. Um, before we begin, let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for the chance that we have to come before you and, and to open your word. Thank you for the wisdom and the life and the, the beauty and the power that lies in your words, God. We ask that you help us understand deeper than ever before, that you teach us more and more of who you are, that we would know you better and we would live for you wholly. We thank you for gathering us together. We thank you for this body of believers. We do pray for the other churches meeting now, later, earlier. Uh, your global church, as Matt talked about, God, we thank you for the wonder that is unity in you, that transcends cultural divides, geographical divides, God, that we are one family in Christ. We lift your name on high. We give you the glory in everything. As always, we ask that this be a time that is pleasing to you and not about us in any way, shape, or form. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you've got Psalm 23, right? And I mentioned at the beginning, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's David's thesis statement, right? That's the idea that kicks off everything. Yahweh is my shepherd. David uses the name that God uses for himself. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. So the implication there is I'm submitting to him. I'm identifying myself as his sheep. I'm identifying myself as part of his flock. Because of this, I lack nothing. And that's David's intro idea. Because I am in Yahweh's flock, there is nothing in this life that I lack. And then the next four verses, 2, 3, 4, and 5, he goes into detail of that, right? He, he starts to break down exactly what it is that he doesn't lack. He talks about, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I don't lack a destination. I don't lack a place to be. We looked at how a shepherd would carefully and meticulously create a pasture for his flock in the wilderness where David was a shepherd. We looked at how God has done that for us. He has created this pasture of relationship with Christ so that we can thrive in it. God doesn't intend for us to just kind of scrape along. He designs for us to flourish in relationship with Christ. And when we abide in that pasture, when we remain fixed in the person of Jesus, what does David say happens? He restores my soul. He returns my cravings, my passions, my desires to the essence of what they should be pointed at Christ. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We looked at how sheep are prone to wander the same paths until they become ruts. And they're to stay in the same places until they've removed all the value of the land. But a good shepherd would lead his sheep along new paths, the right paths. And we looked at how it's for God's name's sake, that it's all about God's glory. And how that must correspond to a spirit of humility within us. We looked at he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? We looked at how he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. We looked at how he anoints our head with oil. And yes, I'm mixing things up, but I, I want you to remember that this is all interwoven, that it all feeds and builds off one another, right? We looked at all these things that God as our shepherd provides for us as the sheep, that we lack nothing. 
So David starts with that thesis statement, then he goes into the detail, and now we come to verse 6, which is David's concluding thought. This is David's summation of everything he just spent five verses breaking down. He says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want to look at those two halves. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we'll start with the surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And you see the immediate understanding, right? The immediate idea there is God's goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. And this is absolutely true. Just because it's the immediate understanding doesn't make it any less true. We see this throughout Scripture. Listen to these passages. And again, I've said this multiple times, but this is why we study. Because we see the same truths woven throughout the entire narrative. We're going to start in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is not a book we spend a whole lot of time in, right? If we're honest with ourselves, how many of us can say, oh yeah, I've read Ezekiel three or four times. It's not something we go to frequently. But I would challenge you, spend some time in these bigger Old Testament books. It's incredible what's in there that we don't see because we spend the time in the same places. That's why I want to look throughout these passages to see the truth again and again and again as God uses the same lessons to teach his people. This is Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will, listen, listen to the language. You hear the same language that we see in Psalm 23. It's incredible. It's so fascinating to me. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, the tabletops, the plateaus, by the ravines, the valleys of the shadows, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. How many of us have felt like the sheep in the first couple of verses there? Scattered and lost in the days of cloud and darkness. Wandering alone, wondering where the nourishment is. What does God promise? I will seek out my sheep. I will follow after my sheep. I will find them. I will bring them to where they are supposed to be. I will feed them on the good pastures. I will be gracious to them and loving to them. I will bring them to where I've intended for them so that they can be the sheep I intend for them to be. You have James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift is from God. If there is anything in this world you enjoy that is a gift from God. And now make no mistake, we can abuse those gifts. We can take those gifts that were meant for good and we can abuse them. I'm not saying that overindulgence and abuse and pursuit of these things can't be done in wrong manner. 
Scripture is saying that every good and perfect gift is from God with whom there is no variation or change. Lamentations 3, 22-23, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. Psalm 3 tells us, I lie down to sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me through the night. Do you think about that? Like, Do you ever stop and think that when you sleep, your body continues to operate on its own just fine? Psalm 3, I lie down to sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. His mercies are new every morning. Every time you open your eyes, that's a mercy new. Don't ever allow the devil to convince you that God hasn't poured out an abundance of goodness and mercy upon you. Because he will try to. But we have to know what scripture says. Ephesians 2, 4-5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God, out of the infinite depths of His great love for us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive. Don't ever believe that His goodness and mercy doesn't follow you. That as our shepherd, He doesn't pursue us. That He doesn't love us with everything that is within Him. Because God is love and that is what we see in these verses. But there's more. There's so much more to this idea. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is, uh, over the weeks, if you've been here, we've learned more and more about livestock, right? We've learned more and more about shepherding and actual sheep management. This blew my mind when I learned this about sheep. Because when we think of sheep, right, like what's, what's the joke about sheep? Like they're dumb, they're smelly, they're dirty, right? Do you know sheep are the most beneficial livestock if managed properly? Listen to what's written about them. And this is by a farmer. It is worth reiterating at this point that sheep can, under mismanagement, be the most destructive livestock. We looked at that. They'll wear ravines. They'll overgraze a land. They can, if they're not properly handled, be the most destructive. In short order, they can ruin and ravage land almost beyond remedy. But in bold contrast, they can, on the other hand, be the most beneficial of all livestock if properly managed. Their manure is the best balanced of any produced by domestic stock. When scattered efficiently over the pastures, it proves of enormous benefit to the soil, hence a shepherd leading the sheep to different parts of the pastures. The sheep's habit of seeking the highest rise of ground on which to rest ensures that the fertility from the rich lowland is redeposited on the less productive higher ground. No other livestock will consume as wide a variety of herbage. Sheep can eat all sorts of weeds and other plants that might otherwise invade a field. For example, they love the buds and tender tips of Canada thistle, which if not controlled, can quickly become a most noxious weed. In a few years, a flock of well-managed sheep will clean up and restore a piece of ravaged land as no other creature can do. In ancient literature, sheep were referred to as those of the golden hooves, simply because they were regarded and esteemed so highly for their beneficial effect on the land. In my own experience as a sheep rancher, I have, in just a few years, seen two derelict ranches restored to high productivity and usefulness. More than this, what before appeared as depressing eyesores became beautiful park-like properties of immense worth. 
Where previously there had only been poverty and pathetic waste, there now follow flourishing fields and rich abundance. In other words, goodness had followed my flocks. They left behind them something worthwhile, productive, beautiful, and beneficial to both themselves and others. Where they walked, there followed fertility and weed-free land. Where they had lived, there remained beauty and abundance. Isn't that crazy? That under the right shepherd, sheep will be the most beneficial creature for the land. So yes, God's goodness and mercy follows after me. But the question we must ask ourselves, does God's goodness and mercy follow me? Where I have been, does there now exist blessing and abundance and grace? Have I left behind God's goodness and mercy? Have I changed the land behind me because I am under the care of the good shepherd? Right? Sheep under the wrong care will destroy a land. Sheep under the right shepherd will completely revitalize the broken land. God is the good shepherd. The question of our shepherd is not ever in doubt. The question must be, do we as his flock, do we leave behind goodness and mercy? See, David knew this. David knew this about sheep. He was a shepherd. He would have seen what a well-managed flock could do to a damaged landscape. He would have seen the blessings that follow a proper flock. So when David writes, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, David had this in mind, that a flock is followed by a legacy of goodness if managed by the right shepherd. So the question we must ask ourselves as individual sheep is what follows me? What follows you? When you leave your workday, wherever you work, hospital, school, office wing, Wherever you work, what follows you? What did you leave behind at work that day? When you leave your home, when you leave your church, when you leave a conversation, did you leave behind goodness and mercy in that conversation? Did you leave behind grace and kindness and love at work? Did you leave behind forgiveness and gentleness? Did you leave behind a blessing as you move through life shepherded by the Good Shepherd? Listen to these passages. And these passages, hopefully, I say hopefully, will sound familiar. Because you'll notice that these passages all come from chapters that I've told you guys to be reading throughout these past weeks. These aren't random passages. These are intentionally designed to once again reinforce the connectivity of Scripture, what we see throughout them. I've been, I've been thinking about these passages for months now. Wondering, asking myself, I've told you, I don't ask you guys any questions that I don't ask myself. I've been asking myself daily, do these two passages, do they describe me? First, we're going to start in Ephesians. This is Ephesians 4, 29-32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth, but only such that gives grace to those who hear. When I leave a conversation, have my words left behind grace for everyone who heard my words? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be put away from you. The visual image I got of that, right? At one of the restaurants we were at, one of the kids at the table nearby didn't want his food and just shoved the plate across. Like he didn't even want it. He didn't want to see it. He didn't want to smell it. He didn't want it close to him. Have I done the same with bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and malice? Have I put them away from me? I want nothing to do with these. I don't want to see malice. I don't want to smell anger. I don't even want to be near bitterness. I have put it away from me. And what's the hard one in there? Slander. Let slander be put away from you. Christians, we know where we stand on gay marriage. We know where we stand on abortion. Where do we stand on slander? How many Christians have no problem absolutely trashing someone who dares to disagree with them politically? How many Christians have no problem mocking a religion that dares to do things differently than they do? Make no mistake, there is one truth. I will never say that all religions point to the same God. Jesus is truth. Jesus alone is truth. Jesus alone is the way to heaven. But what gives me the right to mock someone who believes differently than I do? What gives me the right to insult someone who dares to disagree with me politically? Have we put slander away from us? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do we forgive as readily and holistically as God forgave us? Forgiving one another as God forgave you. Do we forgive with the same completeness and readiness that God looked on us and forgave us? This was one I've shared with you guys. I wrestled with this for years. The man who abused my brother in kindergarten. Our family friend who molested my brother. I refused to forgive him for years. And I held on to that bitterness. I held on to that resentment. I held on to that anger. And every time someone talked to me about forgiveness, I said, no. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know the pain that my family has gone through. You deal with your own forgiveness. I'm good. And God confronted me about it. And I broke down before the Lord. I mean, I had to be brought to my knees weeping. God, I don't have the strength in me to forgive this man. But I want to. The only way it's going to happen is through you. Give me a heart to forgive. And he did. And I can truthfully say I forgive him. I said it aloud back then, and now I, I hope I see him in heaven. That would be a beautiful thing. That would be a wonderful thing. Why do we withhold forgiveness? I think because we forget how completely God forgave us. And that passage tells us we can't do that. Listen to this. This is in Romans 12, 9 through 18. Again, I had you read all of Romans 12 earlier in this series. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Other translations will say hate or despise what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Cling to what is good. Wrap your arms firmly around what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That sounds like someone who leaves behind goodness and mercy. That sounds like someone who goodness and mercy follows after all the days of their life. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Don't tolerate them. Don't ignore them. Bless them. That coworker who drives you nuts, you don't ignore them. You bless them. That neighbor who you can't stand and you're, oh, I hope they move. Every day you're looking for that for sale sign. Don't ignore that. I mean, the Bible doesn't even let us off the hook with ignore those who persecute you. Turn the other shoulder to those who persecute you. Just, just pretend like those who annoy you don't exist. That'll be easy. Bless those who persecute you. Are we willing to be a body that blesses those who persecute us? You know what challenges me? I hate, I shouldn't say I hate, that's not fair. I really don't like election season because I get so sick and tired of all the mailings and the ads. Like election season just drives me nuts. But what God has done in my life over the last couple years is now when I see election ads, I pray for that person regardless of political party affiliation. Because for a long time it was, yeah, I'll pray for the people I agree with. I'm not going to pray for the people I don't agree with. Why? Am I better than this? Am I better than the command to bless those who persecute me? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Whew, I don't like that one. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, I don't like this one either. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Because when I, when I read that, live peaceably with all, my immediate reaction is, God, you don't know what they did. And this is the conversation I have with God when I have those thoughts. Live peaceably with all, Sam. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. Who's the they in your life? We all have a they in our life. We all have that them, right? If they would do this differently, if they wouldn't have said that, if they wouldn't have done this, if only they would do this, then I would respond as I should. And you know what God has told me every time? Every time I go to God with, you don't know what they did? He responds with, they're not your concern. My command doesn't say live peaceably with them if you think they deserve it. My command is to you regardless of what they did. I'll deal with them, Sam. You live peaceably with them. You bless them. You pray for them. You love them. How did that passage start off? Love must be genuine. Do I love genuinely? Do we love genuinely as sheep in God's flock? Does goodness and mercy follow us? Throw up, if you would, this quote. This is the last time I'll reference Philip Keller. It's a great book. Yeah, I should read his book. Shepherd writes about Psalm 23. But men and women who know firsthand about the goodness of, and mercy of God in their own lives will be warm and affectionate with goodness and mercy to others. So I can't help but wonder, is my reluctancy at times to show goodness and mercy to other people because I've gotten so self-centered, I forgot how much goodness and mercy God has poured out on me? Or am I a sheep that goodness and mercy follows? 
Because that's what David's getting at here. That is the question we must ask ourselves as individuals. I want each and every one of us to ask, do goodness and mercy follow me? I know they follow after me. I know God's goodness and mercy follows after me. Does goodness and mercy follow me? Where I go, have I left behind love? Have I left behind genuine love and compassion and gentleness and kindness? Have I left behind Christ in my conversations and in my job? Does this follow me throughout my days? Because I'm a sheep in God's flock. And then what does he wrap up with? He wraps up with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A beautiful sentiment. And this is something we see from David several times. In Psalm 27, 4, we also see, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So a lot of, I mean, this is, this is just how my mind works, but when I hear I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, my immediate question is, okay, what's the house of the Lord? Right? What is this, what is this house that David so desperately wants to dwell in forever? And if I don't know something, I'm always going to turn to Scripture. So my question then becomes, what does Scripture say is the house of the Lord? Do we see this anywhere else? You see John 14, 1 to 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Okay, so now we're starting to get a little bit better of a picture. There's a lot of space in God's house, room for all of us. Jesus prepared the way to get there. The houses were, were meant to be where Jesus is. What else? What else does Scripture say? What is this house of God? Hebrews 3.6 but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Okay, we are his house. I think I remember you referencing that a couple weeks. Yep, that was Ephesians 2. Let's go back to Ephesians 2, 13 to 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, right? He's talking about the people who wanted to separate themselves. Well, we're Jews. We're not like you Gentiles. And he's saying, no, 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 in Christ you are one. You are one in Christ. There is peace. There is no hostility. He has put an end to that. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. It's the same peace. Jewish people, you thought you were closer than the Gentiles. He preached peace to them. He preached peace to you. You're one in Christ. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Listen to verse 19. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is this house of the Lord that David wants to dwell in? The body of believers. What is the house of the Lord? It's Trevor. It's Megan. It's Steve. It's Keegan. It's Russell. It's my gorgeous wife, Adeline. Right? And it's you and 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 so on. You are the house of the Lord. We are a house of the Lord. We are built for one another. We are destined for one another. It's why Hebrews says, do not neglect gathering together, but do so all the more as the end approaches, encouraging one another. Right? When I was a camp counselor, it was perfect. I, I thought Pete might have been a little mad at me if I built a bonfire up here. That might have been a little, Pete, is that a little beyond what I'm allowed to do? Okay, he nodded, so it's a good thing I didn't do that. Right? But when I was a camp counselor, the illustration I used with the kids is we would build a fire for the final talk of the night. And at the beginning, I would take one log out of the fire and I would go set it to the side, just resting on a stone. And by the end of the night, the fire was still going. Sometimes, depending on the size of the log, it was maybe smoldering, maybe flickering. A lot of times it had gone out completely. But it was always, always far less a source of light than the logs that remained in the fire. Make no mistake, you are not meant to go through this life on your own. You are meant to be a part of the house of God. We are given to one another for the purpose of encouragement and building one another up and challenging one another, for exhorting one another, reading scripture together, giving together, serving together, loving together. And so the question I want to ask, I want to continue this idea of goodness and mercy following. We looked at, does goodness and mercy follow you as an individual? Now I want to ask, what kind of house are we? Now I want to look corporately. Are we a house that people drive by and think, I want to go there. That looks like a great place to hang out. Man, that house, and I'm talking about the body, I'm talking about, right, you're tracking, you're following this, this metaphor, simile. I don't know if I've used like or not. But what kind of house are we? Are we a house that people look at and they think, man, I'm invited to that house. I'm welcome at that house. I love spending time at that house. That house is a house of love. That house is a house of welcoming friendship. One of the most powerful testimonies my parents gave in our area was opening our house to kids anytime, all the time. Right? I can't tell you how many conversations my family got to have with other families in our area simply because our house looked different than the families around us. We were at one of my friends. She was moving away. This was, this was tragic. She was moving away senior year, and she threw a bonfire at her house. She had all her friends over. We had probably 40 or 50 kids there. And it got ugly. And... The party got, the, her, her mom kicked her out, said, get out of here. You and your friends, you're done. I called my parents. I said, I've got 50 kids. We're going to be there in 10 minutes. 
We showed up and my dad had a fire going. He had hot dogs and burgers on the grill. My mom had brownies in the oven. She had stuff ready for us. And I'll never forget what my friend Dave said. And later that summer, Dave and I sat in my car and we had to talk about God. Dave said, this is the first house I know where the parents like the kids. What kind of house are we? I asked you individually, does goodness and mercy follow you? Now I want to ask as a body, does goodness and mercy follow us? When visitors come through our door, do they see a household that loves one another? Do they see a household that is genuinely happy to be together, that cares about one another? We're not going to do this perfectly. We're not doing it perfectly. Anytime you have people, it's going to be broken and messy. I'm going to make mistakes all the time. I need you guys to hold me accountable. I need you to hold each other accountable. We need to hold one another accountable to be a house of glory for the Lord. Because that's where I want to dwell. I want to be in a house that people look at it and they say, that is different than the house I'm currently in. And I want to be in that one. And I'm not talking about we want our church to be the biggest in the area. Probably not supposed to say this. I don't care about numbers. I, I don't. I care about health. I care about the health of your hearts. If we are a church of 20 people who deeply and passionately love God with everything in us, I'm good. If we are a church of 2 million people, my concern is are we a church of people who deeply and passionately love the person of Jesus? So when I say I want people to look at our house and want to be a part of it, I'm not talking about I want to be the mega church in the area. I, I, I don't care, probably also shouldn't say that, I don't care what church you go to. Make sure it is a church that loves and pursues God and God alone. If that's our church, awesome. I can't wait to be a part of the family with you. If it's a church down the road that deeply and passionately loves and pursues God, awesome. We're a part of the same family. I'm talking about the house of God. I'm talking about the global church, the American church, the Richland County church. What kind of house do we present to the world around us? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about are we a body of believers that unbelievers look at and they say, that group of people is different and I want it. I, I don't know what it is, but that group of people, they're different, and I want that. I want that kind of peace. I want that kind of fellowship. I want that kind of love. I want that kind of unity. I want that kind of mercy. I want that kind of grace and forgiveness and compassion and kindness. That's a house I want to dwell in all the days of my life. So we need to ask ourselves as individuals, what follows us? Does goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life? I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to be a part of the body. I want it to be a body that deeply, passionately, entirely devotes themselves to the person of Jesus. I don't want you guys devoted to a church for any reason other than Christ. If you find yourself attending a church for any reason other than Christ, you're at the wrong place. I don't mind saying that. Are the other things nice? Yes. It's awesome. We have, a, we have an incredible children's ministry. 
We, I mean, wonderful. But you know what makes our children's ministry wonderful? The people back there are committed to showing children Jesus Christ. That's what makes our children's ministry wonderful. I love our women's ministry. You know why it's a great women's ministry? Because Esther and the other women who she has helped her are devoted to showing our women the person of Jesus Christ. That's what makes it a beautiful children's ministry. I've loved getting to know Matt and the worship team more over the years. I've loved the conversations I've had with Matt. You know why? Because Matt isn't thinking, what are some fun songs to sing? Matt, I can tell you guys this from the conversations we have. Matt has one question on his mind. How can we glorify Jesus Christ? That is what makes it an incredible worship ministry. That is what must define the church. A devotion to the person of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so the question we must ask ourselves as individuals is, do I reflect that same devotion? If you look at my life, do you see an entirely focused life on the person of Jesus Christ at the cost of everything else? I count everything else as loss if only I have Jesus. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. Can we say that about ourselves? Are we sheep who are entirely surrendered and committed to our shepherd at the cost of everything else? I believe if we are, we will be sheep that goodness and mercy follow. If I wake up and I am consumed with knowing Christ and looking like Him to the world around me, I will be a sheep that goodness and mercy follows. That is my burden for this church. That is my burden for this body. That we will be a body of people who wake up devoted to being Christ to the world around us. So your challenge this week, we're at the end of Psalm 23. I'm going to give you an easy reading assignment. Go back and reread Psalm 23. Right? It's easy. We've been doing it for seven weeks now. But read Psalm 23 every day. And maybe there's a verse that through this series you've seen in a deeper light, you've seen in a new understanding. Read Psalm 23, understanding the beauty of Yahweh as our shepherd. Read Psalm 23, knowing I am surrendered to Yahweh because He is my shepherd. Read Psalm 23, knowing that in Him I lack nothing. Read Psalm 23, knowing that He has given a pasture for you to abide in, to thrive in. So ask yourself, am I abiding in Christ? Read Psalm 23, knowing He desires to restore your soul. He wants to take your soul, your passion, your essence, and He wants to return it to its original intended state, yoked to the person of Jesus. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Read Psalm 23 knowing that you can fear no evil because God is leading you through the valley, right? We talked about the valley is never the end destination. We talked about the shepherd is always with the flock, even through the valley. So if you're in a valley right now, read Psalm 23 knowing that the shepherd is with you and there's a goal on the other side. Read Psalm 23 knowing that He has prepared a table for you, a plateau for you, 
to thrive in that he has gone ahead of us. He has dealt with the enemy. He has conquered death. He has defeated the grave so that we can have life in him and life abundantly. Read Psalm 23 knowing that his rod and his staff, they are with us and they give us the strength necessary to face the trials of this life. I challenge you to read Psalm 23 with new eyes this week. And ask yourself, ask yourself this, this question, this idea that David ended with. Ask yourself, what follows me? As a sheep and the flock of the good shepherd, what do I leave behind? The land that God has led me to, have I left it behind, blessed by my presence? And it's not us. I'm not saying that I'm incredible. I'm saying that it's God who's incredible. God is the shepherd. We are his flock. So ask yourselves every day, what follows me? And that's, that's the final challenge for this series. It's a beautiful psalm. There's so much more to it. There's so much more to God's word. We just have to take the time to know it. Pour ourselves into it. Study it. Let this define us. Right? I said to Pete and Mary, this is a challenge. This is a challenge for you guys. Deuteronomy said, imprint these words. We have to be people who know God's word. Let's start with Psalm 23. Please join me in prayer. God, I thank you for being the good shepherd. I thank you for providing us everything we need for life and godliness. I thank you for leading us through the valleys. I thank you for preparing us pastures. I thank you for reminding us and making us at times rest in you. I thank you for restoring us, for the renewal that you give us. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. I thank you that your goodness is poured out on us in such quantity that we can't even contain it. And so, God, out of that goodness, according to your power, God, your Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is with us, let us be sheep who leave behind blessing. Let us be a flock that comes into a desolate, barren land, and when we move on from it, it is changed. It is revolutionized. God, give us a holy discontent with the problems around us. Give us an inability to look at barren, desolate lands and be okay with it. Let it stir something within us that we desire to see it transformed. That we desire to see this area completely and utterly transformed for your glory. We give you the praise. We surrender to you in everything. It's only by your power that we do anything. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Let's stand together.